0: And here we go. God spoke to Moshe in the desert of Sinai. In the second year, let's say, after they had left Egypt. and In the first month saying. So what's the first month? The first month of the year is the month of Nisan, the month of Pesach. So it's really not a full year since the Jews have left. It, it's a year minus 15 days since Pesach is on the 15th day of Nisan. So this is the... Uh, actually, I'm sorry. It doesn't say what day, what day of the month. So this is the month of Nisan, but it doesn't say which day of the month. But in any case, this is about a year after the Exodus. Now Rashi is going to address a question. We learned in the beginning of this book, this book of numbers, that God was speaking to Moses in the second month, the first of E.R. already. In the beginning of the book, God, we're already at the first of E.R., which is the beginning of the second month, so it's already a full year and, and change. Why is the Torah now going back to what happened at the beginning, at the, a month earlier in the month of Nisan? Why is the Torah going out of order? So let's see what Rashi says. The parsha, the section at the beginning of the book of Numbers was not said until Er, which is the month after Nisan. This teaches you that there is no order of before and after in the Torah. In other words, the Torah is not written in chronological order. Now we've had this concept that the Torah is not written in chronological order several times in Rashi already, but this is the first time, as the Rebbe points out, that Rashi uses expression that this teaches you that there's no chronological order in the Torah. Typically, Rashi just says there is no chronological order in the Torah. Here he says this teaches you, from which the Rebbe derives that is actually this instance where we derive the principle that there is no order in the Torah. And that's because the Torah itself gives us the dates. In the, other, in the other incidents where Rashi points this out, it's through derivation that we know what came first or what came second. But here the Torah itself clearly states, this was in ER, the second month, and this was in the first month, and it's, it's reversed. So here is where we derive that there is no order. Now Rashi addresses the question, well, why does the Torah do it that way? What's the reason? Rashi tells us something very interesting. Why doesn't the Torah begin with this story? If it happened earlier, it's a great story. Why not start with that and then go to what happened in the month of Er? Rashi answers, It does not portray the Jewish people in a good light. How does he translate it? It's a disgrace. (laughs) It's an embarrassment to the Jewish people. Why? For all the 40 years that the Jewish people were in the desert. They only offered this Paschal lamb alone. That's it. So they offered a Paschal lamb in the land of Egypt. That was uh, just prior to the Exodus. Then a year later, they're commanded in today's Parsha to offer the sacrifice again for Pesach but for the rest of their stay in the desert they did not offer a carbon Pesach and that is a shame to the Jewish people why is it a shame to the Jewish people the way the reb explains it is because the Jewish people should have asked and begged and demanded of God that they want to bring the sacrifice, the carbon Pesach, but they did not, and that is the shame. Um, According to other commentaries, the shame is the fact that they had to be in the desert for 40 years, and that was because of their sins. Otherwise, they would have gone straight from Egypt and go straight into Israel. They wouldn't have this gap of 40-so years where they were not offering the sacrifice, but either way you look at it, the, po- the reason why the Torah does not begin the book of Numbers with this story, even though that would be the chronological order, is because it doesn't want to begin a book in a way that portrays the Jewish people in a negative light. And I mentioned uh, Shabbos a couple of weeks ago. I saw, um, I forget which commentator, who says that each one of the five books of Moses begins with something um, in the praise of the Jewish people or in the praise of the land of Israel, the praise of of Moses. Each one starts off with praise, so that fits very well here where Torah does not want to begin a story that could portray the Jewish people in a negative light. There are other commentators, there's all this big discussions about why they didn't bring the the sacrifice in the desert. The simplest explanation that fits with Rashi is that they were not commanded to bring the sacrifice until they would come into the land of Israel. Right. If you look back in Exodus in the portion that we read on Pesach, it says when you will come to the land of Israel or the land of, of your dwelling, you will bring you'll start you'll start bringing the, the sacrifice again. So the simplest reason is because they were not let in the land of Israel. Others say that there there's a reason why they couldn't do the this Paschal Lamb in the desert, because it requires that. Every, that the person who's bringing the Pascalan has to be circumcised. And not only that, all of his children have to be circumcised. So if he has a child that's not circumcised, he cannot bring the sacrifice. Now, there were, there were uh, children being born in the desert, but they could not circumcise them. Why couldn't they circumcise them? Because they were traveling and they never knew when they were going to have to travel and it was considered dangerous. So because of that, According to this opinion, this is why they did not bring the sacrifice in the desert. But again, according to Rashi, Rashi doesn't get into all of that. He just presumably goes with the simple, uh, simple explanation that they were not required; they were not out; they were not commanded to bring the Paschal lamb until they would enter the land of Israel. And this one in the second year was an exception to that rule. God specifically tells them that in the second year they are to offer. It. Okay, verse 2. What does God tell Moses? He says, The Jewish people shall do the Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, in its appointed time. Rashi addresses this. In fact, it's going to say, in, um, in the next verse as well, right here. In its time. Why does it say twice? It doesn't even need to say it once. Of course it has to be done. It is appointed time. And the Torah tells us when it's appointed time is. So Rashi tells us the Torah is saying, even if Pesach every Pesach comes out on Shabbat, you're going to say, well, can I slaughter an animal? Can I burn an animal? Can I cook an animal? Roast, I'm sorry, not cook, roast an animal. It's Shabbat. The Torah says, no, you do it in time. Even if it's Shabbat, it overrides the Shabbat. And why does it say, again? Because af if the majority of the people are in a state of to of ritual impurity, that over uh, the the paschal lamb overrides that. So an individual who is who is in a state of ritual impurity cannot bring the paschal lamb, cannot eat from the paschal lamb, and therefore cannot offer the paschal lamb. But if the majority of the people are in a state of uncleanliness, purity, uh, ritual impurity, they that the the past lamb overrides that and it could be offered in impurity. The same thing with if most of the Kohanim are in that state or if most of the implements are in that state. Verse 3 on the 14th, when should it be done? On the 14th day of this month, in afternoon, you shall make it in its time. Like all of its statutes and like all of its ordinances, you shall make it. Rashi is going to wonder what are the statutes and what are the ordinances. Rashi says, the statutes are the mitzvot shebegufo, the mitzvot of the Paschal Lamb that have to do with the lamb itself. For example, that it has to be a unblemished male lamb in its first year, which as one of the commentaries, Moschel David says, that's a chok, that's a statute. We don't know why it has to be a male lamb in its first year. So that's a chok, that's a statute, and that has to do with the body of of the animal itself. And what are the ordinances? Those are the mitzvahs that are upon the body from another place. In other words, the fact that you're not allowed to uh, have you've got to get rid of chametz for seven days, and that you have to eat matzah. These are things that don't relate to the body of the of the Paschal lamb itself. They're kind of um, extraneous to it, and those, as Maskela David points out, are ordinances. They're not statutes that we can't understand. They're very understandable. We have to get rid of the, the chametz and eat the matzah as, as a commemoration of what happened in Egypt. There's another version in Rashi in the brackets, which is cited by Nachmanides as the correct version, he says um, that there's actually three categories. There's the mitzvahs that are in the body, has to be male, etc., The second is how you prepare it, which is also upon its body, has to be roasted and in a certain, um, its head head with its legs and its innards. And a third thing, which are extraneous to the body, that is the matzah and the beer chametz. Verse 4, And Moshe spoke to the children of Israel to make the Pesach. Um, Rashi tells us, that even though uh, Moshe had already told the Jewish people the laws of the holidays back at Sinai, right, uh, earlier earlier in, in, in their sojourn in the desert, Moshe repeats it over here again. Why? Because we have this concept that when you're coming close to the event, the sergeant has to tell the crew, the troops, yes, we talked about this three months ago, but now we're about to do it. That's the way that we teach. We remind the students before the time actually, when we were actually ready to do it. We had that um, before the giving of the Torah, where God told Moshe to give the Jewish people certain instructions. And then he told them to tell it to them again, right before the event, as a reminder. Verse 5, they shall make the Pesach, the first one, ba'ar ba'asar, on the 14th day of the month, in the afternoon, in the desert of Sinai. As we learned before, this is going to be an exception, even though they're not yet in the land of Israel. They're still in the desert of Sinai. They should do it, just as God commanded Moses. That's what the Jewish people did. Now, here's the great story. There were men, who were impure because of contact with the, the soul of a dead person. They could not offer the Paschal Lamb, on that day, on the 14th day. They were in a state of impurity. Now, who what, who were they contaminated to? Um, so there's three opinions. I started saying that yes, yesterday about the Levites, but I confused it. It was the, the opinions about um, how these people became impure. And the first opinion in the Seferi is that it is talking about people who were carrying the bones of Joseph, the coffin of Joseph. They were doing a mitzvah and that's why they were impure the second opinion is that there was mishael and Safan, who were levites who took the bodies of nadav and avihu who had died um, who had died in the inauguration of the first day of the inauguration of the tabernacle and the third doesn't give a name of which body that they had they had taken care of but it just says it was a mace mitzvah A mace mitzvah is a person that nobody, somebody who dies and there's no family or nobody to take care of him or her. And these people did a big mitzvah. They took somebody that nobody else was taking care of and they buried them. So in either case, these people were righteous people who were doing a mitzvah. And now they can't do, because of their good deed, they're not allowed to bring this Paschal lamb. So they come in front of Moshe and in front of Aaron on that day, by Yomahu, on that day. Interesting, it says by Yom that day. Um, I don't know why. In any case, Rashi says, why did they come in front of Moshe and Aaron? It doesn't mean that they first went to Moshe and then they went to Aaron. Moshe and Aaron were sitting together and they came to them. Because Rashi says, if Moshe wouldn't have known, they certainly wouldn't have gone to Aaron. Certainly Aaron wouldn't know. So it must be that it came to them together. Verse 7, so these people said to Moshe, it's interesting that even Aaron is mentioned because they're just talking to Moshe. Good question. We are impure to the body of a, of a person. Why should we be excluded? This is an interesting translation. Um, yeah, It's hard to translate. Why should we lose out? That we should not be able to offer the sacrifice of God in its time. It's t- third time we've had that word but among the Jewish people now Rashi tells us makes it much more complicated from the just read the verse it says like hey we're impure why can't we do it but Rashi says it's not so simple they knew that if you're impure you cannot bring a sacrifice what they were suggesting was as follows we will not eat of the sacrifice. We won't eat from the sacrifice because we know we're impure, but let a sacrifice be offered on our behalf and let the blood be sprinkled on the altar on our behalf and the, fruit, the, the meat of the Paschal Lamb that we would otherwise be obligated to eat we will give it to other people to eat, people who are pure. And in this way, we could have a part of the sacrifice. So this was a question that Moshe couldn't just give them off the top of his head. So what does he say? Um, but let me let me uh, go through Rashi. I missed something important. He says, "Imdu right, Let's look at the verse. Yemen Moshe. Moshe says, to "Them stand, and I will hear." Or as they translate it, "Wait," but literally, it's "stand, and I will hear what God will command to you." Says Rashi, something beautiful that Moshe is like a student who is who is uh, secure in knowing that his his teacher is going to answer him. In the words of Rashi, fortunate is this mortal, born of a human woman, Shekach Muftach, that he is so secure that whenever he wants, he can speak to God. How do we know? Because he says, wait here, and I'll come back to you with an answer. He doesn't say, you know, take a walk, and when God gives me the answer, I'll tell you. He knows that as soon as he asks God, he's going to get an answer. That's amazing. Now, Rashi adds another point. He says, really, this is an unusual parsha. It's a whole big Uh, section about what you do if you miss the first one, you go into the second one. Why isn't it taught like every other portion of the Torah where where God tells Moses, so shall you say to the Jewish people? This one seems to be in a very unusual way. says Rashi that this could have been said by Moshe directly from God in the normal way like the rest of the Torah, but these people who had become impure either through Yosef or the other two ways, they merited that this whole section of laws of the of the second Pesach, the Pesach Shemi, should be taught by them why merit is brought about through the meritorious now what does god say god says speak to the jewish people and say ish ish okay so we're we're uh, we're running late so i'll i'll just give you the the main idea which is that torah says if you are impure or you're far away, for whatever reason, it wasn't your fault, and you could not bring the first sacrifice of the Paschal Lamb at the time of Pesach, on the 14th of Nisan, when it comes, the time of one month later, 14th of Iyar, you will bring a sacrifice, it's called the Pesach Sheni, Sheni meaning the second. So Pesach Sheni is the second Pesach, and the difference between the two is that for the Pesach Sheni, there's no long. Pe- you don't have to keep Pesach for se- for seven days or eight days in the diaspora when you do. Um, when you do the second Pesach, that's the big difference, and you don't have to eat matzah for 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 the duration. It's only while you're eating the pat the second Paschal la- the second Paschal lamb, then you can't eat it with chametz, but you're allowed to own chametz. You're allowed to have chametz in your house. You just can't eat it together with the with the Pesach so uh, of course uh, the very important lesson the more broad lesson which is that is never too late and also the idea of that the Jewish people these people didn't just take it standing now so oh, if we can't bring it we can't bring it okay what are we going to do no they had a passion and excitement that they wanted to bring the carbon Pesach so much so that they came to Moshe with this request and indeed they got uh, something so we'll pause there and open it up for one or two questions and answers since we are already quite late. Comments? Can I go back to the earlier part just a little bit? Um, leaving Egypt, uh, the people had sinned. In fact, he said, "Their disgrace, their disgrace." That's pretty strong. And then they had to go forty years you know, as a kind of punishment, I guess, or something. And to go 40 years, they could have done it much sooner. Could that be seen as a kind of cleansing, that they had to go through this to cleanse themselves of all this disgrace? Yeah. Um, the 40 years, well, there's different ways to look at the 40 years. So the 40 years on the simplest level is that the people who left Egypt really were not ready to go into the land of Israel. They, they would never be able to, to do it. You know, they were stuck, you want to say, in their slave mentality. You could say that they were too spiritual, all kinds of different explanations. But the bottom line is, they the, it was only the next, the words of God, after this, the story with the spies, where they say, you know, we can't go into the land of Israel, we're scared. So God says, you know what, you're right, you will stay in the desert and die out here in the desert, and the next generation will go into the land of Israel. So um, I wouldn't look at it so much as a cleansing, but technically this is how it had to work. These people were not prepared and and suited to go into the land of Israel. It had to be the next generation. But I would look at it differently. The 40 years, we know that 40 is the number of... um, of really absorbing something, of transformation, right? So it says, for example, that it takes 40 years for a student to really get what the teacher taught. So you have this idea, you know, people are a- ahead of their times, right? And then when they say something, everyone says, oh, this is crazy talk. And then 40 years later, that's the norm, right? So when when a, when a new idea comes into the world, it takes 40 years even for the people who are, you know, the teacher said it, okay, I accept it. But it, does, it takes 40 years for the idea to really, be, to really own the idea. I become, you know, I get it. It's not just, oh, my teacher said it, so I'm parroting what my teacher said. 40 years later, I'm saying it because I get it. And so there is a transformation that's going on during these 40 years. Um, the Jews are eating the manna for these 40 years. They're in this close contact with Moses. And even though we hear about a lot of stories of quetching and this and that, that's also part of it. They're challenging God for 40 years. And so it's seen as a collective preparation for the work of the Jewish people throughout their history, which is to make the desert bloom. And this is all happening in a, in a physical desert. They are uh, really paving the road for the rest of their history. So that's how I would look at the... Forty years from a Hasidic point of view. All right. Well, we're we're getting. Rabbi, to, I have a quick yeah. question.
1: Yes. Go ahead.
0: Hello. Can you hear me. Yeah. I heard uh, in a podcast that the Talmud tells us that there are several, at least three mitzvah that have never ever happened in all of human history, and there there are only six hundred and ten mitzvah that have happened and would you happen to know what those three are uh well i'm gonna, i know one of them off the top of my head that's ben sorer umoreh which is the um the rebellious son you know the torah is he's, he's showing pretty bad traits and the torah says in certain circumstances that he has to be killed so the talmud says that that never happened um i can't remember the other two off the top of my head. Thank you. Sure. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been wonderful. And we will see you again tomorrow, 835, with God's help. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.